Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And with that, let's get to the show. All right, so this first one here is from Scottman60, and it's a comment, not a question. And it was on a video that I made... Well, it was, it was a part of my series on building guitar number 85. I was installing my label, and I just made the point that um, my process for installing my label is not well thought out. It's very simple. I, I literally just add some glue to the back of the parchment paper that I use to print my label and just kind of place it on there and just rub out the, the bubbles with my hands. Um, and I think a small piece of wood I usually use. But anyway, his comment is, Eric, I find using a small, dry paintbrush, once you place your label, it helps to smooth out wrinkles, etc. Um, that's great. Thank you. So I saw that one, and I appreciate that, and I'm going to try that out. Just a small, dry paintbrush. I think that would help. Um, I've also uh, got some Bondo spreaders, uh, which basically works like, you know, I could probably use a credit card even to smooth out wrinkles. So I'm going to try both of those things. Bondo spreader, small dry paintbrush. If you have a squeegee, a little rubber squeegee, that would probably work well too. Um, yeah, anything to force those air bubbles out from under the label. Okay. All right. Thank you, Scott. Anthony Hadijon writes... I have a guitar that needs the neck made about two millimeters thinner. A new, thicker fretboard was added to this 1966 flamenco guitar. As a result, it now feels like a tree trunk. I'll be using a rasp first and then sandpaper. Where do I find that drill attachment that you use for the heel? So he's watched one of my neck carving videos and um, Elevate Luthery is the name of the company that makes this rolling pin sander, is what it's called, which attaches to your drill. Let me grab it and show it to you. Okay, so this is it right here. I love this tool. Uh, it's pricey, but that's what you get for highly specialized tools for luthiers. It's just that kind of thing. Uh, but what it is, is just as it's described, it's a rolling pin sander so on this end, you would have your hand drill, which would be running and sp spinning this cylinder here. And uh, it's a great way to carve out a heel. And it's also uh, what it's primarily used for in my shop and most shops that purchase this from Elevate Luthery. Primarily used for flattening the sides, particularly in the waist area after you've installed binding or even prior to installing binding because you need those sides to be flat before you cut your binding channels as well. So it's, it's just great for cleaning up the sound box 
on the sides. But anyway, Elevate Luthery is the company, no affiliation with me, but great company, great little tool here. Put that aside, and next question. Let's see what we got. Oh wait, I didn't read his joke here. Also, do you know where lumberjacks find a date? On timber. Next question. Walter Ryder writes, Thank you, Eric. On the bridge plate, why not use an eighth-inch brass? It should help prevent the string ends from eating the bridge plate. Also, what is your take on applying a coat or two of shellac on the insides of the box? So actually, I really want to answer his second question there, uh, but I'll comment on the first one real quick. Um, I've never done anything with brass on the bridge plate, but there is some precedent there. There's a tool called the plate mate, which people generally use, as far as I understand, for repair. If you have a really chewed up bridge plate, a great way to rescue that guitar is to use the plate mate or some sort of brass shim uh, for the ball ends of the strings to bear against, right? Instead of uh, falling back into the chewed out holes on the bridge plate and split potentially splitting the bridge plate even more than it already is or starting to damage the soundboard or anything like that. So it's a way of rescuing that guitar because that brass is going to hold up, right? That brass is bomb-proof. Just my thought on it, I haven't used those, but some people do use them on guitars that don't need to be rescued, just as a tone thing, and I would imagine it would make the guitar sound quite a bit, maybe it's not noticeable, but I would imagine it would be noticeable, quite a bit brighter. So adding metal, especially in that part of the guitar, to um, your already metal strings, which already want to sound bright, uh, I would think you're definitely going to get a brighter sound, more immediate, more punchy, and maybe that's what you want, and maybe brighter is what you, is what you want. But I think it will definitely add a lot of brightness, uh, which just from poking around on the internet a little bit, it sounds like a lot of people install these because they actually like that, which is cool. So if you want to get your guitar to sound a little bit brighter, and I, I would imagine maybe a little bit louder as well, because uh, generally those two things ride together, brightness and projection or volume. Those two things are different, volume and projection, but they're related. Um, but anyway, I think you can get more punch out of your guitar, more brightness from adding something like the plate mate. I don't know if that's what he's talking about. He might be talking about replacing the whole bridge plate with a brass bridge plate, uh, which I think would just be the plate mate times 10, right? It would just be uh, brightness overkill, <laughs> potentially. But I don't know. I've never tried it. So that's just my thoughts on something I haven't tried. What is your take on applying a coat or two of shellac on the insides of the box? I love it. So uh, I've heard this question a lot before. It's a great idea, actually, and there are a lot of builders who do apply a coat or two, and that's really all you need, just a coat or two. Don't do, you know, 20 coats 
like you would on the outside of an instrument. It's really just to seal. You're trying to seal things off, to stabilize things, to help with any sort of uh, movement, wood movement, right? Cupping, issues with uh, bulges or anything like that, or warping around the bridge. That can all be, or split soundboard, that can all be mitigated quite a bit by just adding a coat or two to the inside of the guitar. It's a good idea. Uh, it just adds, it's one more thing, you know, time-wise and labor-wise that you're doing to an instrument that you're probably putting a lot into. So that is really the only reason why people and, and guitar companies don't do this is just time and effort, right? So I think it's a good thing though. I love it. There's a question about my mortise and tenon jig. Where did you get that or is it your design? Uh, so it is a jig from a company called Luthier Tool. As always, I don't have any affili affiliation with them, but that jig is absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's go Let's go take a look at it. Luthier Tool is the company. We'll take a quick peek at it. Uh, I want to be quick here because I've shown this a lot recently, but it's worth showing. It's expensive, just like that other tool I just showed you, but sometimes you got to spend money for some serious quality. So that's the Luthier Tool neck angle jig. And... Do you only build OM size guitars? No, I do not. I build um, dreadnought size guitars and parlor guitars, and I'm open to building other sizes, but those are basically what I do right now. Uh, actually, I'm just working on the parlor, introducing the parlor sizes. And he was asking this because I have a couple side bending molds right here. And these actually, these come right out. And I uh, usually store some of the other molds down here, and then you just place the other one in there. If we head over here, you can see there's actually a number of different sizes here that I've had and have. Some of them are now defunct, meaning I just don't build that shape anymore, but still have the mold lying around. All right, let me see what other questions we got. Regarding, okay, this is from Keith Short. Regarding the sanding of the mother of pearl inlay bits, the ergonomics of getting flat ends with your technique looks awkward. So what he's talking about is um, in the video, I was sanding the joints for the mother of pearl. He's doing pearl purfling. So there's a lot of little joints on each piece of pearl as the pearl travels around the contours of the guitar. And you have to just by hand and by eye adjust each angle to get it to fit. And it's actually not as hard as it sounds. It, it goes pretty quick uh, and it's pretty easy and enjoyable once you get into it. But I was just doing it and I always just do it on a flat board by hand just locking my elbow and following back to get that angle. Check it, maybe come back if it needs to be adjusted slightly. Um, 
Yeah, it might might not be for everyone, but I would encourage you to, if you haven't, to try it that way, only because uh, it looks harder and sounds harder than it actually is. If you just trust yourself and again, lock your elbow when you're sanding, just kind of let your body fall back. You're not gonna get rounded over ends. You're gonna get a nice clean cut there as long as you lock that elbow. You only get the rounded over ends if you let your, your wrist and your elbow uh, if you don't lock them, right? So then they can arc. You get that arc motion, which is not flat. It's very similar to sharpening, actually. To sharp, you know, getting a getting a flat surface on the on the sanding board is similar to sharpening, I would say. Bo Hannum has used a this. Oh, this is why I love this this comment here, and I I wanted to throw this in here. Bo Hannum has used a manual disc sander the Logan Precision Miter Sander Elite F200-2, which looks to be the perfect tool for this. I, so I don't think it's the perfect tool for this, but that's not why I'm bringing it up. Not, you know, maybe it would be a good tool for this. The, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is that I looked this thing up and it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I have been looking for, you know, thank you, Keith, because I have been looking for this thing for a while. Um, I have looked around to see if there was a basically a disc sander that you operate by hand, a manual disc sander, because for certain fine uh, brace work steps where I'm adjusting the angles on interconnecting braces, I go back and forth to my disc sander. I use it unplugged and I just by hand turn the disc and just carefully adjust these angles. But for a while now I figured it'd be real nice to just have right on my table a miniature disc sander with a little crank that I can turn. And Keith here has found it for me. So thank you very much Keith. Uh, I have already added this to my Amazon cart. Though designed for a picture frame shop to get miter joints to match precisely, it looks like a great tool for preparing binding joints and inlay bits. Yeah, but adding another tool when we have so many causes one to pause. Yeah, there's always that. <laughs> you can get too many tools. Uh, I know. Okay. Are we done? I think we're done. I think that's good. I'm happy with those questions. I hope you are too. All right, let's get some work done. If you enjoyed this and you learned something here, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you are enjoying this on at the moment. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericschaferguitars.com or you can register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Bye for now.